Well, good morning once again. Welcome to our visitors. Um, see a couple new faces there. It's been that way the past few weeks. Welcome to those who may be listening online. I hope you are blessed wherever you are listening to this on. Parashat Bo. I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about a couple interesting concepts that kind of come together. Um, I'm going to talk about light and darkness, of course. I'm going to encourage us to renew our minds, right? Renew ourselves daily, and just stay vigilant in Torah in general. This week's Parsha is, contains the last three plagues, right? We have locusts, and we have darkness, and um, the plague of the firstborn. There's the commandment for uh, Passover. There's really all... Parshat Bo is loaded with stuff. It's really difficult to distill it down, you know, to a kind of a 20-minute little thought. But we'll start in this week's Torah portion. Parshat Bo is uh, Shemot. It begins in... Shemot chapter 10, or Exodus chapter 10. There's already been a series of plagues that have been thrust upon Egypt at this point. And uh, Pharaoh has been hardening his own heart for a while, although the heat's really getting turned up now. There is a plague of locusts that begins in uh, chapter 10, verse 12. Adonai said to Moshe, reach out your hand over the land of Egypt so that locusts will invade the land and eat every plant that the hail has left. Moshe reached out with his staff over the land of Egypt, and Adonai caused an east wind to blow on the land all day and all night. And in the morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and they went up all over the land of Egypt and settled throughout Egypt's territory. Ultimately, they ate up everything. You would think that would do it, but it did not. Of course, it's a, sort of the same old pattern. Maybe he's going to let them go, then he changes his mind. And so, well, time for another plague. Um, continuing in verse 21, Adonai says to Moshe, raise out your hand towards the sky and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness so thick that it can be felt. Darkness so thick that it can be felt. There is a lot of imagery about light and darkness in scripture as we all know. Obviously, this darkness is not the ordinary kind of darkness that we are used to experiencing. As David alluded to this morning, this darkness really is, can be connected to Genesis chapter 1. We were talking about this in Torah Club on Wednesday night. Genesis chapter 1, we all know this very well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was unformed and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Now, this darkness that is being talked about in these first few verses is something that you wonder. It could not have been divided by light from the sun, moon, and stars. That's why they were created later. This sort of light was divine light, divine illumination. And there's been lots of thought among the sages throughout the years of what kind of light this might have been. Jeremiah Michael notes that the rabbis have been pondering this for years as well in a recent article I was reading about him. And it's referenced in many places. One is a commentary called Yalkut Shimoni. Yalkut Shimoni is a, a, a gathering of several different commentaries from um, many centuries ago. Thoughts that the sages have about the Torah and many different 
parts of the scripture. And they talk about this light here in Genesis 1, 1, uh, 1 through 4. They say, and this is Yalkut Shimoni, this is the sages talking about it. They say, this is the light of Messiah. As it is said, God saw the light that it was good. This teaches that before the world was created, the Holy One, blessed is he, looked forward to the generation of Messiah and its deeds, and he hid uh, the primordial light for the Messiah and his generation beneath this throne of glory. So this idea of this light being a spiritual light or some kind of light that's not normal light that we think of is part of, it's woven into the fabric of Jewish thought throughout the centuries. And of course, the sages have come on to some of this truth, a truth the Apostle John saw more clearly, as David also read for us this morning. The Apostle John in the first chapter says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. All things came to be through him, and without him nothing um, made was being, had being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not suppressed it. This isn't regular light and darkness that we think of. This is a case where spiritual darkness could not suppress that spiritual or divine light. We know Messiah was that light. He is the agent of creation. All things are made through him. And so, when you try to look at this light and darkness through that lens, the plague of darkness was much more than inconvenience. It was much more than God sort of blocking the sun, moon, and stars so you can't see. There was a darkness that was placed there that they could feel. It was almost uh, a darkness that was void of the light of Messiah or void of any divine light. Must have been a very frightening experience just for that simple fact. So hold that thought about light for a minute and let us continue on. Because it's time for another plague. But before that plague is unleashed, the plague of the death of the firstborn, the people get some instruction. In chapter 12, there's instruction for the Passover. Um, it takes up a large part of the chapter. And it's sort of, it, it, usually it's plague after plague after plague, and then it takes a break. And in chapter 12, we get a little bit of sort of a sidebar here. Adonai spoke to Moshe and Aharon. This is chapter 12, verse 1. Adonai spoke to Moshe and Aharon in the land of Egypt. He said, you are to begin your calendar with this month, and it will be on, it will be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the assembly of Israel and say on the tenth day of this month, each man should take a lamb or a kid for his family, one per household, except that if the household's too small for the whole kid or lamb. Then he and his next door neighbor should share one, dividing it in proportion to the number of people eating it. It goes on and on and on about the uh, Passover. This is the original one, of course, how they're supposed to do it and all that. But don't miss the Rosh Kodesh commandment here. At the very beginning of chapter 12, it says you are to begin your calendar with this month. Well, what is a month? Obviously, we're talking um, new moon to new moon. And when does the month begin? When it's declared. And this is the commandment of a, the declaration of a new month here. This is traditionally thought to be the first commandment given to the children of Israel as a whole. 
And so you can't have a month if you don't declare the beginning of it, and that's what's called Rosh Kodesh, or the head of the month. Rosh is head, Kodesh is month. It's very important, often very overlooked a bit in the whole scheme of all the holidays and Shabbat and everything else. Rosh Kodesh sometimes gets shuffled to the, you know, kind of off to the side. Everything else seems a little bit more sparkly. But it was very important during the time of the Maccabees when the uh, Greeks were really doing many terrible things to the Jewish people. They outlawed three things, circumcision, Shabbat, and Rosh Kodesh. So Rosh Kodesh is very, very important because it sets up how you, um, all the, the entire year and all the Moedim. Now, digging down on a little bit deeper level, Kodesh uh, has a different meaning that is also used. It also means renewal or restoration, right? It's uh, not a new moon. It's the same old moon, but it's restored. It is renewed. For example, you will read in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14, it says, Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. That renew, that's Kodesh. In that sense, it's renewing. They're renewing the kingdom there. Also, 2 Chronicles 24.4 reads like this. Now it came about after this that Joash decided to restore the house of the Lord. Restore the house of the Lord. That restore, that's Kodesh. So renewing or restoring, that's Kodesh. That is a fresh start. Something old, something worn down maybe is being made whole again. That is really the theme of what's been happening here with the children of Israel. They are getting a fresh start. They're going to be freed from bondage. They memorialize that by beginning the year with this month. And so all of the Yom Tovs, all of the holidays are based off this event, this fresh start. This is freedom from bondage, and this is the basis for all the Moedim. That theme of renewing and restoration, of course, culminates with the resurrection of our Messiah, the moment Yeshua was resurrected. Those who place their trust in him are restored back to Adonai. Those who align themselves with Yeshua receive the Spirit, helping them to renew their souls. It's the same old soul. It's just renewed. Like the temple that was uh, broken down or neglected or destroyed, at times we feel broken and run down or abandoned. But there's renewal and there's restoration available in Yeshua, of course. But this renewal is not a one-time deal. It takes a little bit of work. This is where it all starts to, you'll see this come together because this renewal and restoration obviously is another great theme and concept in that fabric of Jewish thought. And at times, those threads really cross each other like it does in the book of Ephesians. You'll see this here. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. It's on page 1462 in the complete Jewish Bible. Or it will be in Ephesians chapter 4 if we have a different version. Maybe a Tree of Life version or lots of other great versions that are out there. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 17. Hard to pick a starting spot because there's just a lot of good stuff in here. But verse 17 reads like this. Therefore I say, indeed in union with the Lord, I insist on it, do not live 
any longer as the pagans live with their sterile ways of thinking. Their intelligence has been shrouded in darkness. They are estranged from the life of God because of the ignorance in them which comes from resisting God's will. Kind of sounds like Pharaoh. They have lost all feeling, so they have been abandoned. They have abandoned themselves to sensuality, practicing any kind of impurity and always greedy for more. But this is not the lesson you learned from the Messiah. If you really listened to him and were instructed about him, then you have learned that since what is in Yeshua is truth, then so far as your former way of life is concerned, you must strip off your old nature because your old nature is thoroughly rotted by its deceptive desires, and you must let your spirits and minds keep being renewed and clothe yourselves with the new nature created to be holy, which expresses itself in the righteousness and holiness that flow from the truth. You see here, it's, it's being renewed is not a one-time deal. It says uh, that with your spirit and your mind, it needs to keep being renewed. It's a continual thing. It's a regular practice, something you should do that should be a rhythm of your life, maybe sort of like a new moon is a rhythm, and it's a renewal. But he goes on to uh, incorporate some of this light imagery. Um, about a chapter later, on, that, on the next page, at the very top, chapter 5, verse 8. He says, for you used to be in darkness, but now, united with the Lord, you are light. Live like children of light. This is more of this light imagery. This isn't normal light he's talking about. This is that light that's been floating around in Jewish thought that there's a spiritual light here. Children of light, for the fruit of the light is every kind of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And try to determine what will please the Lord have nothing to do with the deeds spoken by darkness, but instead expose them, for it's even shameful to speak about these things, right? But everything exposed to the light's clearly revealed for what it is, since anything revealed is a light, and that's why it says, get up, sleeper, arise from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. So pay careful attention to how you conduct your life. Live wisely, not unwisely. Use your time well, for these are evil days. So don't be foolish, but try to understand what the will of the Lord is. See, that's twice now, because a few verses above that, it says, try to determine what will please the Lord. And again, try to understand what the will of the Lord is. It takes a little bit of work, I guess, to try to understand. You don't want to be spoon-fed. You have to work on understanding what the will of the Lord is. And we know what the will of the Lord is. We really have it right here. It's, it's, it's the word of God. We're really without excuse. The problem is, how do we understand it? How do we understand the will of the Lord? These concepts, um, realities of light, he's talking about light and darkness, uh, of renewal, um, they find their foundation in Torah. That's the foundation of a lot of the concepts we read about in the Bible. The concept of a circumcised heart is first found in the Torah. So much of this, uh, what we read about in all these letters at this end of the book, are actually found, their foundation is in the Torah. And there's a lot of confusion and chaos in this world, a lot of seemingly good people that drift off. And I think without a lack of foundation of Torah, there's, they're missing a stabilizing force in, in among themselves. The Christian Post had an interesting article 
They had a study from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University that found 37% of Christian pastors in the United States have a biblical worldview. Now, on the one hand, that sounds a bit dismal, but at least there are 37% with a Christian worldview, and that research included a 54 worldview-related questions about family and the value of life, concerning issues related to God, creation history, matters of sin, lifestyle. Their prevailing worldview is best described as synchronism. That's the blending of ideas and applications from a variety of holistic worldviews into a unique but inconsistent combination of faith. See, they're, they're blending their faith, not all of them, but a large part of them are blending their faith with the worldview around them. And without Torah as a foundation, I, what would you expect? They are tempted to blend in a little darkness into that light, but we shouldn't be doing that. Paul says, you used to be in darkness. The world needs light. It needs renewing and it needs restoration. But when teachers of the word have a worldview where Torah is not an integral part, there's a void there. And that void gets filled with something, and sometimes it's not always a healthy feeling. When you're plugged into Torah, you're getting your spiritual sustenance all the time. You have the Moedim that come through uh, several times a year. There are also these are seasons of renewal. There's Rosh Kodesh every month, another time for renewal. There's Shabbat. Every week we gather here on Shabbat to really tap into um, that divine holiness and that light and help each other in the renewing of ourselves. As disciples of Yeshua, we strive. As it says, you must let your spirits and minds keep being renewed. It's not always easy. There's times we feel like we've been broken or abandoned. That's okay, because we have the ability to be restored and renewed once again. And so we should be praying. Our prayer should include... Um, <clears throat> restoration for ourselves, for those that are here that we love, and for the world in general. May the people, there's a lot of people in this world that are receiving revelation, that are, who are come to Yeshua, who of course is the word, who is the Torah. May uh, that continue to happen. May we uh, separate ourselves from darkness, strive to be children of light. Um, we may physically live in Egypt, but it's our souls that are residents of the kingdom. And may that spirit encourage us, comfort us, and renew our spirit and mind um, monthly, yearly, and daily, all for his glory. There is great, great power in that. Something that I think about, it's not easy at times when you're going through a season in life that's difficult, but um, that power of prayer to be able to acknowledge that uh, you're going through a rough time, um, it's that sometimes the peace that you receive, and it takes a little bit when you're going through a rough time in life, is really um, amazing and deep and humbling when you experience that. So if you are going through a period of time in your life that is very difficult, I would just encourage you to um, keep that rate. You know, know that that season is uh, temporary, and renewal and restoration are very near. Um, and with that, I'll leave you this morning. Shabbat Shalom.